Are you a clinician in primary care who wishes there were better resources to help you understand how to navigate the concept of triage in modern general practice? We'll boost your triage skills with our dynamic five-session live webinar course tailored for primary care clinicians. Led by myself and Dr. Ed Pooley from Difficult Conversations, this comprehensive training covers all facets of remote patient triage, whether that be digital, on-call, or other opportunities. Through this course, you'll gain practical knowledge, exclusive hints and tips, and direct access to myself and Ed through open Q&A sessions of the course. Elevate your ability to manage primary care challenges effectively and confidently, and most importantly, safely. Register now to transform your triage approach at bit.ly slash GP triage course for GP in capitals. And we will definitely catch you then. Hey, GP learners, and welcome to our live stream where we're talking about the conferences that have been happening across the country and general practice. We've got party political conferences. We've got best practice, King's Fund. And right today, we've actually got the RCGP annual conference up there in that there, Glasgow, having, a, I'm assuming, loads of fun with some of our colleagues out there in general practice. We hope you're having fun at the very least. Uh, who knows? But yeah, how are we doing there, Andy? Yeah, pretty good. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so we're talking about the conferences. Um mm-hmm. Day, or just you know, acknowledging what's going on, and then we've got a few uh, news stories that we've picked out. Um, so news sort of slowed down the last week or so, actually, mm-hmm. but we've managed to pick some interesting things from the last two weeks since we last yeah. went live. Um, mm-hmm. We'll be talking about um, GP locums um, mm-hmm. and uh, potential for some downward pressure on GP, GP locum rates from ARRS PCN staff. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll be talking about a new. Uh, 300 million pound procurement framework for digital pathways in primary care that we're trying to get our our heads around and maybe people yeah. out there can help us um and then we'll be just talking about a few things from the um from the political announcements that didn't make it into the conference health secretary's speeches so that's what mm-hmm. next week's episode um is all about if you our recorded episode if you tune in and watch that but, but there were a few things that were significant we thought but weren't in the speeches so we thought we'd acknowledge those um in today's live episode so mm-hmm. um yeah, shall we? Shall we get get cracking, Gandhi? Yeah, so I guess the first one we wanted to talk about was the best practice conference. And I guess part of the reason for that is myself and Andy had the amazing pleasure of actually going there and participating and even speaking at it, wasn't it, Andy? Yeah, it was great. So we were um, uh, on a, a panel in the yeah. Primary Care Network. Um, I want to say the word tent, but I think stage is the right yeah. word. The Primary Care Network stage, um, talking about. Um, planning for primary care networks and general practice in uncertain times. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, we were joined by Farah Jamal, um, uh, formerly from uh, the BMA um, GPC committee yeah. um, and hosted by Tara, um, who um, does the uh, the business of primary care podcast and a friend of EGP learning. Definitely. I mean, it was a great session, Tara chaired it masterfully i must admit and farah oh my gosh the, the amount of knowledge that she has i thought me and you were good she, she put us to shame didn't she well, i thought it was very she was very well very well prepared um yes. i would say um you know with some good, with some yeah, good talk. we weren't that prepared <laughs> no but sometimes it's nice to, you know, to be off the cuff and i, I guess yeah. um you know we've not been involved in sort of negotiations with the government Absolutely. or anything like yeah. that so we, we had a bit more of a free leash to um to, to say whatever we wanted i I, I, I think, you know, not worrying about revealing some confidential information or negotiating information. Um, so that was good. Um, I mean, I guess there were a number of good questions that came, you know, to us on the panel. Mm-hmm. Um, I know from the audience um, at the end, we had a question about 
the the future of the partnership model um you know and kind of the future of contract you know yeah. contracts you know what we anticipated um which is hard to answer isn't it because we don't know what's coming next year um but uh well, yeah, I must admit, Andy, I remember from that one, um, obviously, I think um, I, I was the last person to answer that particular question, wasn't I? And, and I think yourself I think so. and, um, and Farrell were a little bit more, I guess, reserved about trying not mm. to uh, comment. And, and uh, when it got to me, I was just like, you know what? I don't care. Let's have a go. <laughs> and I've actually had some comments back from that saying, it's just nice to see someone just be blunt about it, to be honest. But um, at the same time, yeah, I, I appreciate I have no problem being blunt about certain topics and things. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, my, my my thoughts on that on that issue were probably more of the same next year, yes. and even the year after. But I think we're leading up to um, probably some bigger change in the next few years. Possibly, who knows? But possibly combining funding streams from core um, contract and primary care network mm-hmm. uh, spending in some way. Possibly not, and possibly devolving a lot of kind of decision making and contract management, possibly to regions and. And ICSs, um, that yeah. seems to be the direction to me that the, the government is going and they're talking a lot about the role of ICSs to uh, manage all care, including primary care and general practice. So, so that was that was that was my hot take um, on, Definitely. on that question. But it was a great session. I must admit, I had a great enjoyment. At it. And if you have the opportunity to go back, feel free to do so. I think you can still look at it from the best practices website and stuff. Um, also, it was really nice to see a lot of the other sessions and the, that meet a lot of the providers. I know I spent most of my time after our session just going out all the various different providers. And I must admit, I met some really cool things. Uh, definitely some of the people that we've already covered um, on the channel um, and also some newbies as well. So I think watch this space. I know we're going to have some cool content coming tail end of 2023, early 2024. Definitely, definitely watch this space on those. Yeah. I mean, there was there was so much technology on the exhibition yeah. floor, you know, just thinking about maybe five or 10 years ago when we were maybe first starting to go to things like the RCGP conference, you know, and it was all, um, you know, drug, drugs companies or, you know, um, mm-hmm charities who support patients you know things like that um mm-hmm. interest groups uh, maybe some wealth management people you know people to help with your practice management uh, but just so much technology um yeah. out there um so 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 much that was a big thing for me to notice um mm-hmm. so Gandhi, you you went to a conference earlier that week the the king's yes. fund conference um and spoke there and I've already spoken to you briefly about it so, mm-hmm. so I'm still wondering what you were up to there what, what was going on and um, so I got invited to go down to the King's Fund conference um interestingly it was also two days the same two days of the best practice conference so I kind of did a 50 50 shout and stuff which was quite nice um it was an amazing venue 11 Cavendish Square I must admit that that place was stunning um and the King's Fund is actually based I think in the building or next door to the building, I couldn't quite figure that part out, but a really nice venue. Um, and, and the content and the topics was just amazing. So it's very much talking about digital healthcare and how we can support the populations. It was very much more a ICS kind of level conference, I would say, more so than your run of the mill practitioner from my perspective. Although don't forget, I, I was only there for the first day. I think the second day had different kind of content. One cool thing, I got to meet Dr. Partha Carr officially um, so for those who don't know who he is, Partha is an amazing individual. He's done so many cool things that he has, in my view, changed the landscape of diabetes care for the entire British population. You know, what he has done for diabetes care is just 
unbelievable. Um, but also very much talks around other elements like racism in healthcare and that kind of stuff and leadership in particular. Um, so it was great to finally meet up with him. And I was absolutely shocked because he ended up being about almost a foot and a half taller than I thought he was because <laughs> I normally only see pictures of him and I didn't realise he was actually that tall and we got a photo together and yeah, he's literally like a head taller than me <laughs> and stuff. So Yeah, so I saw the picture on uh, on Twitter, I think, or X. And, uh, yeah, yeah so. absolutely. Yeah, so, 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 so really that, good. What were you talking about, Gandhi? So, yeah, I was asked to come and talk about the um, contribute to the panel session they had on the NHS app. Um, it was a great session from my perspective, not just because I was speaking, um, but actually being able to participate in it. So they had um, a representative from the NHS app design team, Michael, um, and they also had um, Rachel Power, who's from the Patients Association as well, and getting perspectives from both of us in terms of what does that, how how can the NHS app change things? And, and very much I was speaking from a perspective of how it could be really beneficial for patient care. Some of the challenges, in particular, obviously, prospective access, which kicks off in a couple of weeks um, for the majority of the practices across the whole of the country and the legalities and the challenges that come with some of that. But also it seems very much many people were frustrated around the disconnect between the information travel and stuff. Um, I know Michael gave some amazing news, I thought, uh, some of the developmental stuff that's coming in the NHS app, particularly for us in general practice. So, um it's going to be a really geeky thing, okay? Um, but it's a really small thing, but I think it's going to be game-changing. So potentially in the very near future, patients will be able to access their barcode for their prescriptions on the NHS app directly, okay? Ah. And now Andy's okay. probably thinking... Any, phar- any pharmacy and, and grab your script from any pharmacy, Exactly. So, so for those very of you who have had patients. these problems, obviously we know that stock shortage is a massive mm. issue, but also sometimes you just want to go to a different pharmacy rather than your regular one to collect your prescriptions. But there's this whole issue of the scripts being sent back up to the spine, potentially even sometimes having to generate a new prescription because of the weird rules about how mm. scripts work electronically and stuff. But this, I think, will solve a good chunk of those problems because the patient will have complete control of that barcode and you'll be able to just flash it off and then they'll be able to pull that down. There's no spine connectivity craziness that we currently have to deal with. So I was so happy to yeah, hear that that's that actually just sound fantastic. And, yeah. um, you know, and the more functionality that um, is in the NHS app, you know, the more people will be drawn to, to, to use it. You know, it has a critical mass of functions more people be drawn mm-hmm. in and um you know, we can, you know we can continue to build on top of the nhs um yeah. app so and i guess the last little thing that was a bit of a kind of um you know ego booster for me if i'm being absolutely honest and um, so quite a few people asking questions which is like really love your video on how to use the nhs app and the fact that it's higher rated than the nhs app's own video about the nhs app <laughs> in terms of use and stuff so that that was a really nice little buzz thing um but definitely it was a great session really thankful to the king's fund for inviting me i had a great time got to meet some interesting stuff as well um andy you might like to know this the company that has now bought hopping was actually their ring central oh um, so I was we love to them. For, yeah for, we do remote conferences yeah, so, so Hoppin's actually just been bought out by another company called Ring Central, and they also they? provide. Um, so they're a company that provide telecommunications to hospital trusts as well, apparently. Okay, they must do more than that, though. What, what, oh, they do. It's massive. What, what, like you know, it's it's like Alphabet for Google kind of thing um, okay. concept and stuff. But yeah, they, they, they now also own Hoppin. So sort of so a, those, a dig, so, digital communications BMOF, sort of yeah, you know, yeah. just a massive digital communications company. Okay, That's yeah, good, we love Hoppin so, as long as they. 
support exactly. the platform. So all of our viewers now watching me and Andy geek out slightly, that's because we use Hopin for our conferences stuff. It's, it's an amazing product. We love it. We absolutely love it and stuff. Um, and yeah, so it was just a little bit of tip. I haven't told Andy about because I haven't told No, it's great. Yeah, this. yeah. It's a yeah. great product. Re- reproduces the feel of a sort of a physical conference, but, mm-hmm. but for digital remote conferences, it's, it, it's a really, really um, great product. Check it mm-hmm. out. That's good. Definitely. So I guess in the, the final conference, unless you yeah. have something else to say about king's fund no Gally. no that's everything yeah. uh, all i would say is if you do get the opportunity to ever go to a king's fund event take it awesome really good event i really enjoyed it uh, you know i think i think i'll do that i've not been to king a king's fund event so maybe that's mm-hmm. could be on my cpd for next year to uh, <laughs> to go along for something because they do a lot in inequalities which they is a, a space i'm really interested in now um mm-hmm. so that should go on my uh, list of things to do um so um the other conference that's that's going on and is it we're not too closely involved with it is the rcgp conference so i guess it's really yeah. just to say hello to everyone out up there in glasgow um hello. if you're if you're watching this rather than going to a fringe event in the evening uh get out and go to a fringe event and watch the recording of this uh, but hopefully you're uh, you're having a good time i mean it looks like they've got the sort of usual um Stop. usual suspects um up there i was just looking at the list of speakers just emails catching up mm-hmm. so we've got quite a lot of people from from the college, from GMC, from NHS England, looks like quite yeah. a diverse set of people speaking up there. Um, mm-hmm. and actually, I, I love RCGP conference. I've had okay. a fantastic time uh, when I've been there before. Lots of positive energy. And if you're feeling a little bit sort of down about general practice, it, it, it normally cheers me up. Um, mm-hmm. At least that was good. I guess just some commentary on that. One thing I haven't seen on there, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Andy. Normally, mm-hmm. the Secretary of State for Health does do a flyby at the RCGP annual conference. Did you see that Steve Barclay's face is not there? I guess. Um, so I've not heard. I'm sure we would have heard if he'd done the keynote yeah. this morning. There would have been something in Pulse about mm-hmm. that. I'm sure that that can't have happened. Uh, let's have a look. Who did the keynote? Um, plenary. We haven't planned this part. Ever. <laughs> this part One of the things about going live. A little stuff, bit disconnected. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it's it's difficult for me to understand where the... Wow. You know, yeah. was... Okay, we're not sure, but we're pretty sure it wasn't Steve Barkley. So. Yeah. Um, and I guess there has been a little bit of controversy around the RCGP conference as well. So um, I know, Andy, you spend a lot less time on Twitter or X, as it's now called. But apparently one of the sponsors was a PA company. And there's lots of stuff going on around about PAs and general practice and health mm. and the NHS and stuff. So um, interesting, a lot of people commenting on is that an appropriate sponsor, given some of the other stuff that we're seeing, which I guess leads into our new story about locums and stuff, doesn't it, Andy? Uh, that's a really good Really good uh, transition, Gandhi. That's great. Segway. So, yeah. So this this was um, obviously we, we weren't live last last week. So this was mm-hmm. sort of from you know not in the last seven days, but uh, since we were last doing this live episode, um, GP locums asked to reduce rates to compete with ARRS uh, staff. So I think that was an, a, a GP locum agency has mm-hmm. um, asked people working for that agency to consider lowering their rates because of a dip in demand for GP locums. Mm-hmm. And the reason that's cited for that is that there, those, inc- those new roles, which are now in general practice, first contact physios, um, increasing the use of um, uh, nurse prescribers as well, physicians associates. Not all of these are funded through ARS staff, but many of them are nurses are not funded uh, but the other roles are paramedics um that there's a reduced demand for gp locums in some areas due to that mm. um which was really really interesting and sparked a lot of debate um i think on social media um which was interesting yeah do you do you pick up anything on this story with your your 
ear to the ground on X. Um, so it's not just the X, but I guess a lot of the forums that we're part of as well. Very much hearing that locum market seems to be a lot smaller than it used to be. Many people, locums are struggling to find some work at, at this current point in time. I think some of that will probably change in the next couple of weeks with half term coming back. But then again, a lot of locums are already booked out and stuff. And I know we're, we're trying to find locums for a couple of days over half term. So actually, if you're interested in locum work in Nottingham, let me know. Definitely be interested there. <laughs> Um, but I, I think, you know, there is this shift that we're seeing in primary care. Obviously, we know that the funding for general practice has been relatively stagnant. You know, the government repeatedly tells us about the fact that there is no planned increases for general practice. I know we covered the whole 6% increase, which is actually only 2.4% increase in our previous episode for the global sum. Um, and obviously that has an impact because in many practices, that's not even going to be enough to cover the pay increases for their existing staff. So therefore, practices are very much cutting back on funding. Um, and then, like you said, there's the additional resource of the ARS roles, which are supplementing some of that. So therefore, practices I think are now seeing some of the benefits of MDT working and also some of the challenges of that. And therefore, as a result, are looking at other roles to supplement, you know, to be honest, workload because it is cheaper. Whether it's beneficial is another question I think many people are asking. I think there's absolutely situations where they can be really effective in that. Absolutely situations where a, a GP locum is far more so, you know, effective in terms of what you need them to do. But it's a balance, isn't it? And like you say, in some areas, this is becoming a bit of an issue. Hey, GP learners, have you heard about Epic? The EGP Learning Poblas Implementation Consultation with myself, and somebody else from out there in primary care. That's right, whether they're in practice, PCN, or wider areas, it's about the journey they've been through to make a change in the working life that they do for the benefit of either their patients, their practice teams, or themselves, and how they went through that journey so you can learn from it and hopefully implement similar or something different in your area. We're going to hear about the highs, the lows, the pros, the cons, and the journey they went through to make this a reality. So it's your opportunity to learn from our fellow EGP learners. I'm Dr Gandalf of EGP Learning, which is designed to help you understand primary care and the tech around it. And make sure you subscribe to this podcast to get every epic episode, as it's going to be podcast first. And let's get ready to go epic. Yeah, yeah, it, it's about balancing that skill set, and and also, um, as you were alluding to, Gandhi, it's about the affordability to to practices, yeah. which is the other side of this, you know, supply demand equation, because practices are having to um, to to really kind of eat those um, those you know, yeah. partners are having to eat the increase in in um, in remuneration for other members of staff. You know, uh, quite a lot of staff are working at or around minimum wage in general practice, and they had an over ten percent pay rise um since april and then um a lot of that six percent pay increase for salary gps i know the rcn um have asked um their nurses to send a letter to their general practice employer we got one from our nurse uh today saying where is our six percent increase you know please mm-hmm. give us that so and 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 that really isn't entirely covered by the increase in money to general practice so they have to eat that also last year uh there was more sort of winter funding kind of covid yeah. release relief kind of funding around which has been around for the last few years which probably helps support demand for locums as well and i think mm-hmm. that's being you know we don't i'm not seeing that on the cards so much this year so that will also affect the equation so um yeah yep. so interesting times uh for gp locums I and mean, we've spoken a long 
t- uh, you know for a long time um about um there being sort of fewer incentives for people to take up substantive and salaried posts and, and and partnerships because of how attractive locum work has been so it may be that the pendulum is swinging back in the other um direction and people might be drawn more to salaried mm-hmm. posts if they're still there uh, well i think we are seeing that in many places people are looking more for salary roles because of the protection it brings and also the ddrb increases which are written into gms contracts as well so that has some benefit it'd be interesting to see what the bma plan to do and the gpc in terms of some of this stuff because actually how sustainable does this making and actually i'm starting to see a little bit more of that whole partner sessional kind of conflict coming in a little bit so it'll be interesting to see how this works and stuff um and so i, th- I think yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting uh, stuff, I think. Um, but yeah. Absolutely. But um, go on. Yeah, so just before we go into the next news story, I thought probably worthwhile we do bring in our live viewers briefly for everyone do to it. have a look at and stuff and things. So just a couple of shout outs. So, um, you know, we mentioned it that Christina and uh, Miss Melody are jumping on. Um, Christina, great, great shout out. Please stay unprepared. Much better. Love you being able to say what you think. So this was in relation to our best practice stuff. And then Christine also coming in about the NHS app, how she loves it and how she's you know, saved herself and having to make contact with various different things and stuff. Miss Melody chucked in um, Game Changer. I think this was around the barcode stuff with the NHS app and things. Um, and also Dave jumping in about the fact that he agrees that the RCGP conference is fun, but the cost is a bit steep. I'm going to be honest, Dave, I completely agree with you on that one. Um, compared to particularly the best practice one, which is free to attend for clinicians, I think there's a massive thing there, to be honest, but who knows and stuff. Um, yeah, so you'd often, often if you're a speaker, you can get a day a day free and that can incentivize mm. you um, to go up. It's still, it's a good experience though. It's a great um, experience. Obviously. Loved it every single time I've been, always have done it. And some of the um, connections that you can make at those conferences are, are really you know, long lasting. I've made some great friends attending at the RCGP conferences and had some great times and stuff. I, I tend to go every few years. Uh, yeah. So I might, I might be there next year. I think we might try and go for Liverpool. Yeah. It's a bit easier to get to though, isn't it? <laughs> um, and Christina ch- chucking in that, you know, this year is Professor Camilla Hawthorne's inaugural speech. So her first spe- um, conference out of her three year term um, and very much hopefully we're setting a tone for uh, her chairing ship. Uh, and actually, I think it's going to be the last time that, that it may be a chair. So I'm hearing that they're going to make some changes in the RCGP, that the chair is going to be more like a president, like in other colleges and stuff. And there's a change for the president to become more like a provost. It'll be interesting to see what happens and stuff from mm. there. So we've got other news stories as well that's worth considering. One in particular is this massive tech fund you and I still can't quite figure out. <laughs> yeah, we were digging around uh, before we went live just to try and work out exactly what this money was for and whether it yeah. was recycled from somewhere else. So this is from HTN, another friend of the podcast. Uh, thanks mm-hmm. for all the work you do. Um, Energy England opens 300 million procurement framework for digital pathways in primary care. So they've opened procurement. So this 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 must be money that's been sort of announced previously. They've just opened mm-hmm. the procurement for it. And actually even, even reading reading the article and then actually digging through and and looking um, on the procurement portal, it's still a little bit difficult to say exactly what this funding is for. So maybe mm-hmm. Christina or other viewers might, might know. It's a huge amount of money. Um, and from what I can tell, it, it, it doesn't seem to refer to the core clinical record system. Um, mm-hmm. He says not fully understanding exactly what's going on, um, but to... Um, uh, uh, kind of additional 
functions for interoperability, transfer of data, enabling patients to interact with appointments data, their records, um, and all sorts of functions like that. So I don't know, Gandhi, were you able to get your head around what this? I, I must admit, I wasn't. And I'm, I wonder if this is probably because I'm confused some of the other funds that have been announced. And I don't know if this is that or if it's a separate one and stuff. So I know there has been some suggestion of a 93 pence per patient uh, fund. And I don't know if this is that because I can't work out on the fly whether that is. That's, that's, only, 60 mil, that's only 60 million pounds. Yeah, so, so it's, I don't think it's that one either, which is around looking at the support for IT um, within the NHS and, and primary yeah. care in particular. But this is obviously a considerably different amount of money. I mean, there's some stuff in it. There's online consultations in there. So that's funds that practice already uh, use from other pots of money to pay for things like, you know, your Accurix yeah. or your e-consult or whatever platform you're using. You know, there's stuff in there around, um, you know, how to access the, the platforms um communications yeah. management you know, th th there's loads of interesting stuff in there and it's a massive fund so it's going to be really interesting i think for this to digest down also as well the applications for it are really short to get onto the framework it's only till the 16th of november so either the tech companies interested in this about this have known about it because that only gives them a, a month to be honest if that to get onto these frameworks. And I hope it's not the same situation we see with the better purchasing framework, which is the one around CBT, cloud-based telephony, which has seen some crazy changes happening. And still some providers that are currently providing uh, telecommunications to primary care still not on it, which has a, obviously a question in terms of viability and risk sustainability and stuff for some places. But um, yeah, it, it's a weird fund. That I, I, unfortunately, we, we only saw this just before we went live. So mm -hmm. admittedly, haven't had time to de delve into it in depth and stuff but I'm, I, even i'm struggling to figure out where this is coming from what it is and stuff but it has just been announced today as well so hot off the press for you all yeah but it's a lot of money um it, but it must have been announced before and it, it's so much mm. money that it, it almost feels like it's it, it, it must cover the the clinical record system um provision as well but i don't know we're speculating um, yeah. So I guess, um, uh, Dave, chopping in about we've been told read the 93 pence per patient for digital tools. But this seems to include some of that, which is what's really confusing me. So I, I don't know. Maybe we, that's we included will... within Maybe. within this. Um, yeah. Who knows? But let's move on to mm -hmm. um, so the last the last two stories are um, things which were announced during the political uh, conference season, but weren't within the um, Secretary of State for Health or Shadow Secretary of State for Health and Social Care. Uh, speeches which we cover in next week's um, recorded episode. So we just thought that we the we ought to bring these to everyone's attention as well. So mm -hmm. um, one was um, government proposes measures to crack down on teenage uh, vaping. So there were actually two announcements around um, smoking and nicotine products um, that came uh, from the uh, the government, the Tory party. So um, one was a, a consultation um, looking at what they perceive as a problem in terms of teenage vaping. I think. I think it is a it is a problem. Mm. Um, I think we would all acknowledge that um, and how that might be addressed. Um, and they had a number of ideas in terms of restricting the sale and banning certain types of vaping products, for example. And the other one was um, an announcement to phase out the sale of cigarettes to um, to everyone in the UK on a sort of increasing age basis. So mm. when proposal is brought in you know people who are this people who are 14 now would never be able to buy cigarettes legally ever that the, the wow. age you are allowed to buy cigarettes would increase by one year every year and if essentially phase out 
the sale of cigarettes to people okay. over the course of what I guess would be you know 50 plus years. Mm-hmm. Um, currently a smoker and you can currently buy cigarettes, you'll be able to continue to buy cigarettes. But if you're a child 14 or or lower, you potentially would never be able to legally buy cigarettes. So quite a big announcement. Quite a big announcement. Yeah. So made that announcement intention to legislate for that and uh, Wes, Wes, Wes Streetig has sort of responded saying oh I was talking about this earlier in the year um <laughs> sort of really sort of trying to, to, to claim ownership of that idea and sort of say that yeah the the, the conservatives had uh, stolen Labour's idea I'm not quite sure whether that's mm. true or not but quite big big news on on tobacco and um it didn't actually yeah. make it to the party speeches so that I think that was worth covering um and then uh, the other big one, which um, I think will uh, will warm the hearts of GP partners who want to stay GP partners. Uh, not mm. all not all do, but many many do. Where that model yeah. is working, um, we might remember earlier in the year, uh, both Keir Starmer and Wes Streeting, Shadow Secretary of State for Health, were were really speaking in very negative terms uh, about the GP partnership model, um, saying that um, it should be phased out that they wanted to get rid of the partnership model and move to other models like accelerate GP model. Uh, but there's been a change of heart. says after consultation with, um, with uh, GP practices and patients uh, across the country, um, they've said that they've, they now see the value that GP partners provide um, and um do not are not committed <laughs> to, to abolishing the GP partnership model, mm-hmm. uh, which is good. Um, I think, or is it good? What do you think, Andy? Well, I think for those of us that are partners, I think we'll think it's a great thing um, because obviously that's our livelihoods and also how we have managed to maintain, I think what many people think is is the way that general practice can respond to challenges and situations. And also, let's be honest, the reason why the general practice and particularly the NHS is the most cost-effective healthcare system in the world um, may not be the best, but it's definitely one of the most cost effective ones because mm. we we do stuff that no other healthcare system could do for a hell of a lot less money. Um, I think in terms of it's a positive news story from my perspective. Um, I very much agree with that. I wonder how much effort that's taken from certain individuals. Um, I'm going to give a shout out to Katie Bramlestein. I'm sure she's probably had some impact on this mm-hmm. since taking over as chair because she's had a few months to try and look at that kind of stuff and things. Um, and to the GPC, hopefully they've had some involvement in, in speaking with Wes to try and get him to understand some of the difficulties and things that do exist and why general practice partnership is a powerful thing. I definitely know there's people out there who think the opposite should happen, but okay, fair enough. That's a point of view from my perspective and things. Yeah, what about you, Andy? Yeah, well, they're not committing themselves to to any particular model, but they're yeah. saying that they 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 are not intending to, to get rid of the GP partnership model. And I think different things work in different parts of the country. Mm-hmm. So there'll be places where the G, GP partnership model is still very much applicable. There'll be places where it's not yeah. working. So I think allowing flexibility is important from my perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, they do um, acknowledge the the value of the GP partnership model, and they particularly talk about. Um, it enables people to serve for a long time in a community or has traditionally enabled people to serve for a long time in a community and, and make deep connections with the community that mm-hmm. they serve. Um, and they really acknowledge that. So it feels like they've really got the message around that because I think that that is true. Um, and they also acknowledge that there's a, there's a tension um, between, so they, they do talk about the tension between um, existing partners and, um, and people who talk about the, the the value of the partnership model, particularly to patients and the health service, and the fact that newer GPs um, increasingly appear to not want to take up partnerships or participate in the partnership model. Mm. So, I mean, that that might be changing. 
potentially. Yeah. I've, seen some, I've seen some evidence that maybe that is changing a little bit in certain areas, you know, maybe our area, but um, but they acknowledge that tension, and that's a tension that's been widely talked about. So I really get the sense that they've listened quite well to yeah. and what, what the professions had to say, actually, and responded and changed their position. And it's quite good, I think, when politicians, you know, have the courage to change their mind. I think that that, and, you know, do a U-turn, U-turn I yeah. think that's a, a positive sign. So, uh, so that was a a positive piece of news to potentially end on, which we don't always do. Um, mm-hmm. podcast. Definitely. Uh, and I guess if you want a little bit more, so a sneak peek of stuff to come. Um, so if we're talking about partnerships and that kind of stuff, for me, one of the teams that I know that has had a huge impact on um, supporting new to GP partnership people, uh, very much Medics Money, friend of the channel and that kind of stuff. So I'm going to be helping them out by supporting their face-to-face conference actually at the RCGP um, uh, 30 Euston Square head offices and stuff on the 10th of November. So if you signed up to that, um, I'm going to be basically helping to support and run the conference with the team for Medics Money. And they've done some cool things around supporting new to GP partners. Their community is absolutely bonkersly amazing. Um, I, I think it's awesome and stuff. So, you know, if you do happen to be there, you will get to see me live in person as we're sorting out that conference and stuff. Um, so, yeah, looking forward to that as another positive thing. So that's the 10th of November in that day down London again. Running off again, Andy. Do you, do you get some positivity from the people there? I guess they're choosing to yeah. be partners, so the people on that course must be positive about it. So Definitely. As, as, yeah, so I've spoken on that. The, so they do some remote sessions throughout most of the year. In fact, for, for all of the year, they do the remote sessions, and once a year they do a face-to-face conference, similar to how we do for PCM Plus and, and that kind of thing. Um, but I'm really looking forward to getting down there and joining them. I've got a really interesting session planned, um, which I haven't told Andy about either. Um, so, um, Does it involve yeah. board games? Uh, <laughs> no, nah, well, it's got a theme of a game in there, but it's it's not board games. I haven't quite figured that one out. I had hoped to, but as ever, it's, in the, it's locked in the recesses of my mind and stuff and things. So it will hopefully eventually come out to light. Um, but yeah, looking forward to that session and things. And if people do want to jump in, I think they've still got a few places left. So if you happen to be a new GP partner wanting to attend that conference, do do so. I think it'd be an amazing session. And if you do want to listen to the episode where myself and Andy talk about the party political conferences and the differences between the two speeches from Steve Barkley and from West Street, and definitely check out our next episode that's coming next week as we talk about that and also cover the various different stuff for you to do we hope you've enjoyed this episode and definitely subscribe to the podcast if you are listening to us um, and hopefully you've had an amazing experience through these episodes and we will definitely catch you as we continue to tech enhance your primary care and learning catch you next time oh hello there EGP learner I'm Dr Gandalf and I often get asked what kind of resources do you have to try and help those using EMIS because you tend to do a lot more stuff for system one and often I've really struggled to answer that question because let's be honest, I don't use EMIS on a regular basis. So therefore trying to help EMIS users is a little bit more difficult for myself. And that really made me feel, well, not great. So I kind of did something to try and help all those EMIS users out there. I went and had a chat with one of my colleagues, Dr. Mike from GP on the Move, and him and I have created a course that you can use to help you use EMIS so much better. That's right, if you use EMIS, but you want to use it so much better, so much quicker, and in such a way that means you go home sooner, then check out our EMIS for Clinicians course. It's an online course that takes you through all the tips and tricks that Dr. Mike knows to try and basically mean you can go home quicker. 
That'd be a cool thing, wouldn't it? And guess what? It's currently on offer. So if you want to take advantage of this introductory offer and get access to it now, look at the links down below and check it out. Additionally, if you're a practice, network or wide area that wants more opportunity to use it, send me an email, egplearning at gmail.com. Let's see if we can help you out. And as I like to say, tech enhance your primary care and learning. Shall we get back to it? Oh, and if you wanted one for System 1 users, well, you know I've got you covered, haven't I? Check out the Learn System 1 for Clinicians course, bit.ly slash tpp s1course.